Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Welcome, welcome to Lagos Questions Christianity. As they say, my name is Femi. Um, to all the Arsenal supporters here watching, don't worry. These dead bones shall rise. I, I prophesy. It doesn't look like it right now. It hasn't looked like it for 15 years, actually. But don't worry. All right. But I'm um, um, happy to have you here. I'm really happy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us here in person. I... As they said, I really I am a fan of this city of uh, Lagos. I I love this city really because you know apart from growing up here, you have to love where you grew up, Abby. But you know Lagos is I think it it offers in terms of culture the best of creativity, entrepreneurship, entertainment that Africa has to offer. I know he was born in Port Harcourt, but he really actually honed his skills in Lagos. Bonaboy won a Grammy, just saying. From Lagos, right? Some, something like that. The Whiskey. We will not get into a Bonner and Whiskey thing, but one actually won for an album. One won for a video. We can. Anyway, Lagos. So Lagos is um, it's a wonderful place. In fact, that's why it's, it's dubbed the city of excellence, right? The city of excellence. I, I agree, but I actually think it's better called maybe the center. It's called the center of excellence, but it's better called the center of hustle. The center of hustle. Because everyone here is a hustler. In every city in the world, when somebody says, are you full-time employed? You understand what that means, right? Are you full-time employed? You have a full-time job. That's not really how it is in Lagos. In Lagos, if full-time employment, there's an equation, full-time employment is equal to a full-time job plus a side hustle. You understand, right? Isn't it? Right? You are not really fully employed if you just have a job. You have to have what? A side hustle. And why? It's because we're all chasing something. What are we chasing? Some people say it's more money, but the moment they get more money, in their, um, a, a, through a promotion, three months after, you find out they'll say something like, I'm still not fulfilled. Some others will tell you that it doesn't really matter that they love their current job. But after two years, what good is the job since they, are, they don't have a girlfriend? Or what good is the job since they've not yet been married? Though we're happy for a while, many times, the truth is that we are never truly satisfied. And this leads us to take many different approaches to this question, can I be satisfied? On the surface, it seems like eh, it's just one of those questions we have to answer. But the longer we find out that we're unfulfilled or unsatisfied, we start to question life itself. We say things like, what is life about if I can't be satisfied? Why, why am I here if I won't end up being truly happy, where am I going since this world seems ultimately pointless? 
I hope you see that the question about satisfaction and whether it is attainable is a question that actually makes us make sense of the world. So I'm sure there are some of us here that are watching that are not Christians or here that are, are here with us that aren't Christians. Grateful that you're here. Some of us here may be on our way to checking out of Christianity. Or some of us are struggling Christians. Or some of us are Christians that just need to answer certain questions. Well, as we used to say, I, in the debate where, you, I don't know how many of us used to debate, Jets, Jets Club. Well, in this talk, I want to persuade you, not dissuade you. Or how do you say, I want to convince you, but not confuse you. Eh, but some of, you know, it depends on the school you went to. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. All right, but I hope to really persuade us, not dissuade us, that Christianity truly can give us, can answer a firm yes to so the question, can Christianity give me a satisfying life? I do want to say, in other times, you know, it probably went a little bit, we went a little bit more philosophical, and or there may be scientific proofs of, for all of these things. They exist, but that's not where I'm going today. I'm actually looking at this question that goes through our minds, that really matters to our life. So in this talk, I'm going to go through four things, four things. I want to talk about how we experience the problem, so this satisfaction problem, this lack of attaining satisfaction, how we experience the problem, how we react to the problem, why we have a problem, and the way out of the problem. How we experience the problem, how we react to the problem, why we have the problem, and the way out of the problem. So, now permit me to start by reading an amazing story between a discussion between Jesus and a particular woman. Right? It's called the woman at the well because it happens at a well. Now, it may seem like an, a very ordinary discussion at first, um, about a mundane thing, getting water. But eventually, you find out that it's a very profound discussion. And the reason, uh, a, a profound discussion. And the reason I want to share, uh, read these stories for two reasons. One is, though this thing happened well over 2,000 years ago, right, you can see that the human experience is universal. That is, what they were experiencing then is still what we're experiencing till today. But second is this. I am more inclined to believe the cure that a doctor will provide if the doctor can actually diagnose my problem. You know how it is when somebody finds out this is actually what's wrong with you. You're more inclined to listen to what the person says, all right, take this drug, or actually go and talk to this person. And I think what you find in this story is that it comprehensively diagnoses our problem. And hence, maybe, especially if you're not a Christian, you should be listening to the Christian answer. Okay, so I'm going to be reading from... A book in the Bible called John, chapter 4, verses 5 to 26. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, the time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, this story starts, as it were, with Jesus' own thirst. But it turns the conversation very quickly, if you notice, in verse 5 to 7, he said, ah, give me water to drink. But after that, we find out that he turns the conversation on the woman. And in many ways, he turns the conversation to us. We are the ones, he says in verse 10, are the ones that need our thirst to be quenched. We're often trying to find what, let's call it, it. You know, or it. We're trying to find an it. When we say we want to get satisfied, what is it? I don't know how to define it. It is like, you know, it's like, it's like the cocoa. You know, the cocoa. We, we don't quite know what the cocoa is, and yet we know what the cocoa is, right? Like the band said, you know, tell them the cocoa. It never really defines what the cocoa is, but just by saying the cocoa, you know what the cocoa is. Am I speaking to somebody? It, it is... It or it is, so some people are talking about food there. You know what it, that's satisfaction you get from food. When do you get it? Now, you don't get it when you eat and you are full, when you've taken a meal and you're full. Do you understand? That time you are just filled. But to get full, feel meant is when you take the water after that meal. You, you understand? Or that cold drink. When you say, ah. That is what? The it. That is what? The fulfillment. In other words, when we talk about the satisfaction, what we are trying to get, we are trying to get something that says, I don't really have a need for anything after I have taken that thing. Are we together? The problem, though, is that there are usually two ways our lack of finding that it is expressed. 
two ways in which our lack of finding that it is expressed. Let's talk about the two of them. First one, let's call it experience one. Experience one is this. You are totally sure that it exists in external possessions and achievements. That is not inside you. It's either I will find it by achieving this thing or I will find it by having this thing. So for instance, this woman thought that she was going to find her it through what? Through marriage. But eventually, she realized that it wasn't married, so she moved to romance. We'll get to that later. And so many people, for instance, who moved to Lagos believe that whilst they've been, you know, in some other town where they grew up or in some village, things were fine, but there is something they are looking for. There is an it they need to find. And so they, um, I don't know if ever, any of you ever watched Sound of Music, we, we climbed every mountain, we fought every stream until we find what? Eh? Abina, yes. Climb every mountain, fall every stream, follow every rainbow until we find our dream. There are no rainbows in Lagos. I can't remember the last time I saw. But there is an it that we often look for. But when we are trying to find that it, we start coming up with terms like multiple streams of, all right? Because if you have one stream of income, it can dry off. But if you have multiple streams, it may get you the it. Or we talk about, I said, side hustles. You have so many side hustles that we start to wonder just how many sides does the person have. You see, while pursuing your dreams actually does have enormous power in driving you to achieve things that you've never achieved before, what we find out eventually is that the it somehow seems to elude us. Well, Lagos the city where we love ourselves, but we love one other place. We love our country, but we love one other place almost equally as our country, and it's Canada, right? We love Canada as much as we love Nigeria. And so since we love Canada, let me bring something from Canada, right? A Canadian um, comedian and actor. He used to be very popular in the 90s. I don't know what he's doing now. But his name is Jim Carrey. You know what Jim Carrey said, right? Jim Carrey says this. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Paraphrasing, he would say something like this. I think everybody should come to Canada and get rich and do everything they ever dreamed of in Canada so that they can see that Canada is not... I'm sorry, uh, some people say not, they are not speaking to me. <laughs> my PR will work. <laughs> now listen, even in the best external achievements and possessions, the it we seek, the it we seek in them, the external possessions and the achievements, it will evade us. You know why? Because the it cannot be found in them. The it you are looking for lasts longer and goes deeper. But there's a second experience if the first one was, you are totally sure it, it exists in external possessions and achievements, there's another one. What's experience too? You've become convinced that there is no it at all. Now at this point, because Hira and Dami tried to introduce me very well, this is the point where I try and look smart. And I try and look smart by quoting a Greek, an ancient Greek word, philosopher. If anybody, if anybody ever 
dealt whether you are smart. Just call one. Just say Socrates. Or Aristotle ever said. But this one, let's listen to a guy called Epictetus, right? Epictetus says this. And it's not like, it's the book that I read that now shows me Epictetus. So it's not like I'm really smart, but we'll keep that here. All right, Epictetus, all right, I, the quote I thought would be on the screen. No, all right, so let me just say, this is what he says, an ancient Greek philosopher. He says, do not seek to have events happen as you want them to. Do not seek to have events happen as you want them to. But instead, want them to happen as they do happen, and your life will go well. See, this is why they are philosophers. Like, what was he saying? But listen again. No, no, it's not motivational. Because they, they actually don't motivate you. They actually make you feel very bad. That's what happens. Do not seek, he says, to have events happen as you want them to. Don't seek to have the events happen as you want them to. But instead, want them to happen as they do happen, and your life will go well. In other words, he's saying, connect to the things in this world as they are, not the way you want them to be. If you connect to the things in this world the way you meet them, then actually pain and pleasure will be one and the same thing, just a sensation. If you try not to expect too many things in this world, what would happen? You cannot be disappointed because you had no expectations to start in the first place. But the problem with this kind of thinking is this. The well actually does quench thirst. Like, the reason why Jesus asked the woman to give him water is because he was thirsty. The reason why the woman went to go and fetch water in that place is anticipation of thirst because water actually still helps you with some kind of thirst. In fact, a lot of research shows correlation between some, and this is what one of our speakers, Don, was saying, some um, external achievements and possessions, it shows correlation between some external achievements and possessions with happiness. For example, do you know how much you need to earn annually? There is a universal amount that you need to earn annually, that if you earn this amount, anything beyond this amount will not make you happier. But actually, most people that earn this amount and above are actually somewhat happy. You know the amount? How much per year? Somebody help me. In dollars, how much? 100,000. 100,000? Nah, not 100,000. Anybody else? A million. I'm sure that's what you say. It's not a million. $250,000? Nope. 20? $20,000. So that's what you are striving for. All right. $75,000. And actually, even adjusting for inflation over so many years, that has been the amount. In other words, they say that actually when you are earning below that, you are, you know, there's some legitimate unhappiness that you feel. You get to seven five thousand dollars and at least in terms of earnings, in terms of financial um, uh, accumulation, you know, there is a level of happiness. Other research even shows that people in stable, loving relationships are somewhat, they're happier than people that are not. So to say, I just want to connect to this world in the way it is, doesn't really help. And in fact, especially here, here that, you know, occasionally we do like to protest and do things like that. Imagine if you just accept the world as it is. Why would we act for any kind of social change? Why would we act, uh, why would we be asking for a healthcare system to get better, for, uh, to, for SARS to end and all of those things? So that also has a problem. You see, as I said, drinking water does quench 
the real problem isn't that. The real problem is, as Jesus says, you keep coming over and over to the well again. It quenched your thirst for a while, but then you came back again and again. And don't think that the, 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 the problem is the kind of water you can't... Look, listen, pure water and Evian water, they both quench thirst. Am I lying? The only difference between pure water and Evian is that pure water is... Is that what? 50 naira? It's 50 bucks, right? 50 naira. Okay, it's 100... Sorry, 10 naira. You 20. 20. Can you cut the video? Cut the video. Okay, so pure water is 10 naira, and Evian water is like... Is it 10? 5. Are you trying to set me up? All right. Evian water is more expensive than pure water. All right? So Jacob's well, she's like, she's like, Jacob's well, that, ah, ah, you're saying that um, uh, we'll be thirsty. But Jacob's well, are you greater than our, than our, than our ancestor Jacob? The point is said, if you drink from this Jacob's well, you will still come back thirsty over and over again. In other words, our perpetual thirst is the problem. We are insatiable beings. Now the question becomes, with these two kinds of experiences, the first experience is there is an it, that you think in external possessions and achievement, and the second experience is there is no it. How do we react? Well, we react to there is an it, and I'm quoting, um, uh, I'm using, um, um, I'm thinking, thinking from a particular pastor called Tim Keller, to there is an it, we react normally in four ways. And to there is no it, we react in three ways. So in combined, that is seven. So there is an it, you can, we have the people called the naive, the resentful, the driven, and the despairing. For there is an it. For there is no it, we have the hero, the cynic, and the detached. So let's look at how we normally will react through these people. Let's talk about the there is an it. You feel that there is something outside there. Let's start. The naive, aka, some of you will know this reference, the young and the restless. The young and the restless. Usually these are people who are younger in age. Let's say you just finished university. You finished um, serving. Right? I love seeing people like that because there is a great burst of energy. You see an ideal future. You are going to conquer. You probably, okay, I don't know whether people in Nigeria still feel this way, but we are, are we still global champions? Like, I'm going, to, I'm going to, I don't know, solve global warming or something. You know, you are going to be richer than Dan Gote. Young people come out with a lot of energy. Now, with that burst of energy, what isn't seen is that they don't know the emptiness of their lives. They feel that the only reason why they feel somewhat empty now is because they haven't achieved that it. But by going out, by trying to, once I get this job, once I do this thing and I meet this person and I discover that, eventually I will not feel empty. And so you go out, you apply for jobs, you do this thing, you do that. And I often seen before, it used to be about three years before, after. But right now, it's almost like 18 months after. They now start to come to terms with their empty feelings. Why? Because they thought they were going to have it when they hammer or they blow. But after 18 months, they don't have it. Why? Because that job hasn't come. 
Because that spouse hasn't come. Because that business hasn't been set up. Because that milestone has not yet arrived. And so all of a sudden, the naivety starts to grow. Have I been in that situation? So now what? But what happens usually is that you become the second person, the resentful. The resentful, a.k.a., a.k.a., had it not been or had I, had I known, right? Had it not been or had I known. Who are these? When the naive don't achieve what they set out to achieve, then you know what they do? You have to look for someone or something else to, to blame. It reminds me of an old song. I hope I don't mess it up. It's an old song, but I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to try to rhyme it. I will have asked for a bit, but I think I will mess it up. So I'm not going to. But I want you to listen closely um, to what the person said. It was a, a comedian. Her name was Anna Russell. And, you know, everybody now, I even, especially now, everybody now that has a problem, right, both for millennials and Gen Z, much more enlightened, much more enlightened about mental health and mental trauma. And so there's a lot of psychoanalysis going on. And everybody becomes their own armchair psychologist. So she was reflecting at the time when psychology was bursting forth in her own period. And she was talking about how whenever people had a problem, you know, um, they went to see their shrink. They went to see their psychiatrist. And so she was almost narrating a story in her song about she going to see her psychiatrist. So here's what she said. All right, so let me try and get myself. Okay, okay. I went to see my psychiatrist to see. No, I went to see my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me down on a downy couch to see what he would find. So this is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a truck, and so it follows naturally that I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer now from kleptomania. At three, I had a feeling of ambivalence toward my brothers. And so it follows naturally, I poison all my lovers. But I am happy now, I but I am happy now I found the lesson this has taught. That everything I do is wrong is someone else's fault. Have you never thought? Have you ever said, or have you never heard, if my parents had sent me to better school, if my parents did not spoil me, if my parents did not give birth to me in this country, I would have been chairman by now. Or if not for my abusive spouse or my abusive boss, I would have been somebody in that office today. Some people blame people. Some people just blame circumstances or systems. If not for the sexism or the nepotism or the racism or the other isms, I will have been where he or she is today. I found the lesson that this has taught that everything I do that's wrong is what? Someone else's fault. You see, after the naive come to find out that 
the it wasn't there, what happens is that you start becoming resentful and wondering why is it that this thing didn't happen to me. And you see, sometimes, actually going through that, that process of trying to figure things out, it may work out in a constructive way. Maybe you get into, that's why a lot of social activists are very angry people. Have you ever met a social activist that is just, just even killed? No, they're always very angry. You may be able to constructively use it in the right way. But ultimately, the venting and the complaining doesn't eventually, ultimately, lead to somewhere constructive. But that think, makes me think about the third one. Because here, yeah, the first two, you didn't achieve the thing. But in the third one, the driven, what happens? You actually do achieve. Notice that the woman that Jesus encountered believed that it was in husbands. Guess what the woman achieved? She got married. She actually did get married. Like many of us, we are maniacally driven to accomplish and get what, what we set out to get. And then we eventually get it. And when we get that thing that we, find, that we think it is in and we find it is not there, what is it that we do next? You know what we do next? We think that it was this kind of thing that was the problem. So we look for another one. The woman got married once and found out it wasn't to Shegun. So what did she say? Marriage is not the problem. Shegun is the problem. So she got married to Kunle. And then, ah, all right, let, let's keep taking. And then when Kunle did not work, she said the problem is in Kunle, so she got married to Temidayo. And then she realized that the problem wasn't in marriage. The problem wasn't just with Kunle, Temidayo, and Shegun. The problem is that they were all Yoruba demons. So she now moved to Ben, a PH guy. And then that didn't work. She moved to Ekpeyong. And then she found out that South South people, no, it's not that. <laughs> but at some point, what happened? She gave up because she became tired of going through the same thing over and over again. There's a guy called Tom Brady. How many of us have heard of Tom Brady? Tom Brady is, um, you know, American now. They often will say something that doesn't make sense. Tom Brady is an American footballer. Now, by saying he's an American footballer, he doesn't kick anything with his legs. He actually throws something with his hand. And you're asking me why. That is why I don't live in America, right? Things are confused there. But Tom Brady plays this sport, and this sport is, there, is the number one sport in America, American football, right? And the biggest event in the American football calendar is called the Super Bowl. In fact, it is the biggest TV event in America every year, right? So I know a couple of years ago, maybe like seven, eight years ago, to get a 30-second spot, advertising spot, on the Super Bowl, 30 seconds, you know how much it costs? $4 million. Exactly, 30 seconds. If somebody, if they don't do that advert well, and that, you... So Tom Brady, to, to get to win the Super Bowl is one of the most difficult things to do. One of the most difficult things to do. But Tom Brady was an extremely driven person. He, took, he, he played the most important position in the football team. He's called the quarterback. And at of 2005, 
Only about two people had won the Super Bowl three times. Tom Brady now won it in 2005 three times. After he won it the third time, you know what he said? Listen to him in this video. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. After three, there's got to be more than this. This year, he won his seventh Super Bowl. He said he's coming back next year. She changed one. She changed the other. She changed another. She changed another. When did you get tired? Or when did it, when did it fall off you that, okay, that sense of, Feeling that, ah, when I make my first one millionaire, how long did it, that feeling last? One week? Oh, I know the problem. It was one million, but back in the day, that's what, well, the 10 million of today is what that one million is. Now you've made the 10 million. When did that wealth? Well, maybe you are now thinking the problem is that it's 10 million. If I reach 100 million, I am sure. For some of us, we even aim higher. When did you get tired of that iPhone 12? Mm. That's why a lot of people, they, a lot of men break up after um, three weeks after Valentine. It's the truth. Because you get your babe an iPhone 12, and you believe that, uh, is iPhone 12 the latest one? 13. You get your babe an iPhone 13. And honestly, the truth is, I no longer date. Glory to God. I'm married, that's why I'm saying that. But if I got my babe the latest iPhone 13, I expect that at least you will not offend me for 13 years. iPhone 13. And then after like one week, you're like, I don't like the way you talk to me. Eh? <laughs> you can't do that. You understand? We keep thinking we'll get satisfied when we find it, but then we look for something else again. Once I reach 1,000 followers, it will be happy. No, maybe 5,000. No, maybe 20,000. If they all like this thing, you know, uh, 200 likes. No, I need 200 likes in one minute. No, in 30 seconds. You keep running on this thing like a treadmill until it gets so exhausting going down that path because you can't find and that leads us to the final one in this experience, the despairing. This is the worst point. This is when you are 43 years old and you wake up one morning and you realize you are not satisfied with your career. You are not satisfied with your love life. You are not satisfied with your parenting or your financial status. You are not satisfied because you realize that these things have happened down to a series of bad decisions you have taken consistently and you have been one of. All of a sudden, you now realize that it's not someone else's fault, but it is now yours. 
And so you end up not blaming anybody else, but you blame yourself. You don't see that you have failed, but now you see that you are a failure. And so you end up hating yourself. And so you see, all these four reactions don't help us. But maybe if we consider there was no it, maybe that will help. There are two, three kinds of people there. And the first one is the hero. Who is the hero? Now remember, the it believes, that, uh, this second experience believes there is no it. Now, there is no it in external possessions and um, achievements. Now, who is the hero? The hero, some of us have become, you know, you, you become enlightened. You've read some nice books. You've read some Greek philosophers. And you find that you are more enlightened than the people around you. You are more enlightened than your previous self. You are more enlightened than the previous societies that came before you. Maybe you eventually hammered. Or maybe you are born into wealth. And so you realize that, see, people that are chasing all these things and think that value is in them, that's not where real value is. Value is not found, or true satisfaction isn't found in you getting better. True satisfaction is found in making others get better. So you pour yourself into philanthropy and activism. You feel valued by making others feel valued. What could be wrong with this? Now, of course, we can't discourage that. But ultimately, let's be honest, this is self-serving. It is self-serving. When you say you care for people, your care for people is really hinged upon your care for yourself. Your supposed generosity comes from a place of moral superiority. You feel like you know something that other people don't know. And that thing that you know, you know what that helps you do? It starts making you look for vulnerable people to help them. You start feeling like some kind of messiah. And so when you give people help, you start using that help to control them. You use other people's vulnerability to feel good about yourself. And when you give them that help, and they don't react in a way that makes you feel good about yourself, all of a sudden you start to resent the people that you are trying to help. I thought you were a true hero. Some people actually measure. You'd be like, when I gave that person 50K, the way she nailed down, she just did like this. Ah, uh, uh, say that is five thousand naira kneeling now. <laughs> it's fifty k now. At least you know, calm down. Ah, uh, uh, I gave the guy one hundred thousand. One phone call, just one phone call, and he spent one minute. Is it not how much is the call? You expect? Uh, uh, don't you have a wife? How come she didn't call me too? When you try to use other people to make yourself feel uh, to feel valued, you. Really, you are using other people. But then you have a, another one, the cynic. Who are the cynic? These are the ones that have grown up. They put away childish ways. The childish ways of thinking success comes in sex, money, and power. They now know what most people don't know. And you know what they found out? That contentment, that no one is ever content or satisfied. The key to life is not about chasing dreams or anything. The key to life is managing expectations. What is in front of you, just try to enjoy it for what it is. Life is about management. It's not about satisfaction. If you've ever met people like this, you'll find very quickly they are no fun to be around. Have you ever met somebody who 
you got this job. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa I just got the job with this company. Eh, I heard that those people, the way they work people tirelessly, eh? I just started this business. Eh, I saw the forecast for that business. It's not things are going down. No. So just, have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe, are you somebody like that? <laughs> not fun to be around. You can never really enjoy anything. They spoil other people's good news by giving them a dose of reality check. On, apart from the fact that you are not fun to be around with, the problem, other th problem with these people is this. You know, one of the differences between animals and humans is that animals don't seek joy, meaning, and fulfillment. Humans do. So for you to get to a place where you say, I am not going to try to seek any joy, fulfillment, or any kind of meaning, you or to lose enchantment with this world, the ability to smile, you know what you must do? You must actually harden your heart. You say, oh, I'm doing it to protect my heart from being broken. The only way you can protect your heart from being broken is to make that heart very hard. And so what you end up doing is dehumanizing yourself by becoming a cynic. The final one is very related to that, the detached. There was a lady I was counseling once. She'd had a tough life with relationships and her family. She had a divorced spouse. And she asked me years ago, she says, why does one have to pursue happiness? Can't we just accept it's an illusion and just get on with life? I remember looking at her, I tried to explain. I knew she had started listening to philosophers like Epictetus. I would try to have a conversation and I said, you can't, you can't live life this way. And I saw this person generally just move away from, from people, detached, could never really attach herself to anyone. Our life would be something like this. Why love when we all die? Stop having huge dreams. Stop expecting too much from people. Stop expecting sunshine. Stop receiving flowers. Stop dancing to love songs. Stop! Why invest when the recession is already around the corner? Just detach. So she tried to live her life emotionless until one day she called me and said, I don't want to be alone anymore. Trying to live that life as an alternative is not sustainable because you are trying to go away from your humanity. When she said, I don't want to live alone anymore, she was becoming just that much human. You see, though detachment may seem like it is wise, it is ultimately heart-hardening and dehumanizing. It may protect you from hurt, but it protects you from hurt at the expense of loving. And nothing is more fundamental to what it means to be a human than to love. So these are the ways that we react. And I want us to watch this video and just see again from these are people who told us about this problem, right? How is it that they themselves have been reacting or when they think about this? And then we'll, find, we'll close this with the last two stuff. Thanks. I think before I truly understood what it meant to be satisfied in Christ or to, to understand that I, God's own, I, I was under a lot of pressure. I mean, I put myself, no, I wasn't under, that sounds like external factors. I put myself under a lot of pressure. Um, I mean, in school and academics, I was a smart kid. 
and it came naturally to me so it wasn't that i studied particularly hard and then i got it it's just that i got it and it was fine um, and that's who i was i was the i was the brainy chatty child you know the one that was going to be ambitious and be a millionaire by 21. um then a levels happened and university happened and then things weren't coming as easy to me anymore i i didn't see the um target of you know being a millionaire by 21 anymore things were and, I, and it really made me think it almost made me think was life worth living like what was the point of it if this is who i am and i can't even achieve that then what is the point at some point i thought my identity was um all about me being smart and being you know uh being the best and over time, I found that there are situations where I'm simply not the best, you know. Um, sometimes I'm great, I'm, you know, I'm excelling, but sometimes, you know, things don't work out. And for me, my satisfaction comes from my achievements and the things I do. So I feel satisfied based on maybe how well I'm doing in school or how well I'm feeling. Basically, school is like the most thing I do right now. So my performance in school is like, my main measure of satisfaction and i know it shouldn't be like that but i tend to measure my satisfaction with my achievements it's not constant so like today i may be doing very well in school and i'll feel satisfied so what happens if i start to you know struggle with the particular subjects then it means that every i'm going to start seeing everything else as bad which is problematic because i shouldn't put like all my eggs in one basket. I shouldn't look at school only as the source of my satisfaction. So if we do have a problem and we often don't react well to that problem of not finding satisfaction, if we are going to find a cure to that problem, we need to be able to find out where that problem is. What is truly that problem? Jesus says something that I don't want you to miss out. When he was speaking to the woman who wanted to deflect the personal conversation, because the conversation got personal when she said, <laughs> go and call your husband. When he was speaking to the woman, she now started going theological on him. Like, where is the real temple and all of that? And Jesus says something. He says, you guys, you worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. The problem that we have with satisfaction is actually a worship problem. What do I mean? Who is a good person? When we are trying to find out who is a good person, what's the most realistic answer? Quite often we look at what people say, we look at what people do and we say, this is how I know this person is a good person. A Christian hero of mine died last year. And when I say Christian hero, like someone who influenced me so greatly. He died last year. Well celebrated all around the world. Millions of people watched his online funeral. It was later found towards the end of last year and this year that he was a serial sex predator. Was he a good man? If I'd asked most people, because of what he said, 
And because of what he did, Olaf said he was a good man. But you see, at the end of the day, we are not asking just what people believe, what people say, or what people think to find out whether they are good people or not. What we really should be looking at, as Jesus is saying, is what people worship or what people love. Because at the center of who you are is not what you say. In fact, quite often we like to say, you know, we like to say more than who we are. You know when somebody says, I'm the kind of person that, you know, things don't easily move me. I don't just lose my temper. That person loses their temper a lot. <laughs> somebody starts a diet this, uh, uh, this week. You say, ah, I, don't, I don't really like, I don't like taking food that has a lot of calories. Often what people say, just started this week. <laughs> Fit for, and you always know when it's not true because that's when they, they, you, you see them on Instagram story. Right? And you often say, after five days, what eventually happened? You are what you really love. Because at the heart of it, many times we do what is wrong. How many of us have ever done what is wrong before? Right? If you didn't raise your hand, you know you just did what was wrong, right? <laughs> now, one more question. When you did that thing that was wrong, did you know before you did it that it was wrong? Hands up if you knew. If you've ever done something that was wrong, and you knew it was wrong before you did it, hands up. In other words, we're not just what we believe or what we think. Because if we were what we believe and what we thought, we would not do what we know is wrong. Why did you do it? It's because in that moment and in that time, what you thought that thing was going to give to you was more important to you than any kind of consequence. Do you understand me? That thing, you love that thing more than whatever God or whatever somebody that you respect would have said about you in that moment. In other words, we are driven by what we love. Whatever our hearts find, uh, whatever, our, whatever our hearts worship or our hearts love, our mind will find rationable, our a desire, our emotions will find desirable and our will will find doable. So Jesus is saying, if you want to find out the problem, the problem is a worship problem. It's at the, the, where we can locate where the problem is working is at the worship. Now what is it about our worship that is pro the problem? What is it about what we love that is a problem? It's something we can just call disordered love. Disordered love. For those of us who've worked, maybe you've been on any kind of team, whether it is a work team or school team or something. Have you ever been part of a team where you know there was a leader of the team, but having spent some time in that team, you realize that that leader should not be the leader of the team. That there's somebody else on that team that really should be leading the team. Hands up if you know what I'm talking about. You're like... This person just talks too much. This person, by the time this person says something, then this other one now solves the problem. This one says something else. It solves the problem, but that other one is still doing a good job. Like, this person should not be. When you look at that team, what would you say? You say things are what? Disordered. This is what disordered love is all about. If you love your work more than you love your family, what will happen? You will neglect your spouse and your kids. Disordered love. 
If you love your reputation more than you love your employees, what will happen? You will care little about their health and more about their productivity. Disordered love. If you love your comfort over compassion, you will pay lip service to those who are suffering without sacrificing time, money, or abilities to help them. Do you understand? Many people love to talk about how they love people, and yet they don't actually sacrifice any of their resources. They don't sacrifice their time to help people, but they can talk about that. Disordered love. So, question. If our problem is the way we put the hierarchy of our loves, they are not rightly ordered, love of what should be at the top in your life? Family, work, romance, nation, self-love, humor, education. Which one should be at the top? Any? Anyone want to choose? Some people are telling us that love of nation should come above anything else. We should be nation builders and not care about the sacrifice that we pay. I've met many nation builders. Their families don't like them. For some people, love of humor is the most important thing, and they talk about free speech. They are very funny, but they hurt a lot of people with their words. Let me tell you very quickly. If you put any of the things I just said above, if you choose any of those things and you put them number one, one way or the other, something is going to get neglected or something is going to get abused. Why? Because the real disorder we have is not a disorder in the love of the created things. The real disorder we have is a disorder between love of the creator and love of any created thing. Jesus says that true worshipers is what God is looking for. In other words, if you love anything in this world more than you love the creator of this world and your creator, you are going to have a problem with satisfaction. Not that we should not love anything, is that we should love, not love them more in relation to God who created them. Hear what I'm saying? It does exist. But we are longing for something that lasts longer and goes deeper than any created thing can give you. Chase all the money you want, it will not satisfy you. Chase the love that you want in a spouse, it will not satisfy you. Chase children, they will not satisfy you. Why? Because the eat that you are looking for in them goes deeper and has to last longer than what any of them can ever provide. You are created for something deeper. That's why I love this quote by a guy called C.S. Lewis about we human beings. This is what he says. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the two experiences are both right and wrong at the same time. The first experience says there is an it externally. It is correct. But that it externally cannot be in this world. The other one says it does not exist in this world. They are correct. 
but it doesn't mean that it does not exist. It is this that you are made for another world. You can't truly look for satisfaction, but the satisfaction that you are looking for exists not in created things, but exists in your creator. When you are trying to find satisfaction in things that ultimately can be lost, because any spouse that you have, no matter how great they are, no matter how great that relationship is, one of you is going to die first. Whatever business that you have, whatever you know, accomplishment you make, eventually you're going to have to hand it over to somebody else who eventually may actually ruin it. You need something that can last deeper. Why try to seek satisfaction with all the created things that you ultimately can lose when you can have satisfaction with God that you can never lose? We are created for something deeper. But finally, I do want to talk and say, how do you then get to this God? This is the way out of the problem. Because if Jesus just left that woman and said something like this, love God more. Just love God more. This would be abstract and unhelpful. Because Hira said here that even she is still struggling sometimes with satisfaction. The truth is that even people who who call themselves believers in God themselves, are still trying to grow in what it means to love God. But it's even more complicated because Jesus said he is looking for true worshippers. That means that there is a wrong way to worship God. Some people say stuff like, you know, all of us are called to worship God in the way we would like to worship God. Actually, no. Jesus says that there's only really one way to worship him. And you can do it in a wrong way. So how do we do it? Well, Jesus is the key. Notice the woman said, I think you are a prophet. She is not wrong by that, but she is wrong in that if she only thought that he was a prophet, that was a problem. And for many of us, the biggest problem we have is a misconception about Jesus. Who was he? Just a prophet? Or maybe some kind of miracle worker, as some religions would say. Maybe some kind of moral teacher, as some of us like he's some kind of inspirational figure. If you continue to have this misconception about him, you will be dissatisfied. Eventually, Jesus tells the woman, the Messiah that you're looking for, and by Messiah, what they understood, both the Jews and Samaritans, is that the one who will come, the one who is a human being, but is God come as a human being, that would be the savior of the world, that would give us the thing that we are looking for and longing for, even when we don't know. That is who Jesus is. In verse 14, he says that he can give you the water that you are looking for, that you will never thirst again. How the, does he do it? Well, he does it two, two ways. You know, ultimately, what this thing shows is that we are thirsty. We are thirsty. But in our thirst and our reaction to that thirst, ultimately, what do we do? We end up sometimes using people. We end up doing bad things in this world. And doing that in the world that God created offends God. Or we end up worshipping other things which is an offense to God. And so what will a just God's reaction be to that? A just God's reaction to that is to give us over to an unquenchable thirst forever and ever. And here is the wonderful message that Christianity offers you. 
that Jesus actually died. And when he died for you, you know what he said? One of his last words, he says, I thirst. In other words, that the unquenchable thirst that you deserved, Jesus took in your place so that you will never have to thirst again if you believe in him. His thirst for you is what you need. And if you accept that Jesus became eternally thirsty for you on a cross, then he can give you his well. Remember what C.S. Lewis said? C.S. Lewis said that maybe, in fact, here's the point, that you are made for another world. Jesus says that if you drink his water, it will spring up to eternal life. You know what eternal life means? First of all, when C.S. Lewis says we are made for another world, Jesus is saying we look for all the things in this world to satisfy us. Well, this world has its limitations. I am going to recreate the world. Many people think that the Christian hope is us escaping this world. Actually, it's not us escaping this world. It's that God is going to recreate this world in a perfect way. But for us to enjoy the world in a perfect way, we ourselves in our bodies have limitations. We don't live eternally. And so when Jesus says, I'll give you eternal life, he's saying, for you to be fitted to enjoy that new world that I'm going to create, I will give you a new body. And you say, this sounds like wishful thinking, except that it has already happened before. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. He has already started that life that he says he will give to you. This is not fanciful thinking. And he says, if you have that perfect body uh, to fit into that perfect world, you are set up to have that perfect satisfaction. I say, oh, all I need is a perfect body and perfect world. Is that it? No, that sets you up for the perfect satisfaction. Where do we find it? Remember, It's about disordered laws. If your love for a perfect body and love for a perfect world is what you're looking for, you will still be thirsty. We are set up in that way so that we can have a perfect relationship with God. When we are perfectly restored, our relationship with God, our love will be perfectly ordered. And that is when he says to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. So I don't know whether you are about checking out of Christianity. Maybe because you feel that I have prayed and Victoria gave us that wonderful story about all the things that you thought it was going to give you, but maybe because you were worshipping in the wrong way. Can I ask you? Or maybe you've never actually given Jesus a chance. Can I ask you to do so? Because he gives a water that would always satisfy. And somebody is saying, you know what, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Can I tell you what's less believable? Is to say, I can find it in this world. Or there is not it in this world. But I'll say this is the most important answer you can find, that there is an it. And because you are valuable and broken, God has sent Jesus to come and give you a chance for that it. He says, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. If you find your identity truly in Jesus, right now, you will not experience that total satisfaction. But you can live life with this knowledge that I won't find total satisfaction in this life, but I have already been secured the total satisfaction in the life to come. So, 
I can experience good satisfaction in many different things in this life, in my job, in my relationship, in all of these things. But even if I don't have any of those things, I don't have to be given to despair. If I have some of those things, I don't have to think I have fully arrived. Because God has prepared something much more for me that I can ever imagine. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.